0: Just, just being with me, so I appreciate that, and I know it's like 3 in the afternoon on a Saturday, and you might be getting sleepy, so give yourself a little, you know, I don't know, if you need a little sugar, some coffee, or just a little, you know, slap in the face, give it to you yourself, and we'll get started. Um, so, so far, we've talked about God's love, right? That's where we started, that it comes from who He is his very essence in nature. And then we've talked about, um, this morning we talked about how he sees us and who we are in Christ. And we kind of read a list of like, this is what you were before. This is who you are now. And now for our third session, we're going to look at a, a different kind of list. This list is kind of like, this is what you did before and this is what you do now. Does that make sense? So our two boys, you know, they're Therefore, and almost too, they love to take a bath, and they have their little bath toys, and they love to splash, and they love to play in the bath. And there's this thing that happens a lot of times when they're taking a bath is like they forget the purpose of the bath because they're just like having fun, and then they like get annoyed when we try to clean them. You know what I mean? And it disturbs their play. I'm like, I need your foot. And they're like, but I need my foot to play, you know? And, and like, we have to remind them that they are grimy little boys and that they, the purpose of this bath is hygiene, you know? It's like, we are here to scrub you. And, like, we're so happy that you're having fun and that you're having a good time. But we're not at the pool and we're not at the ocean. Like, this is for hygiene, so I need to scrub you because this is your bath. Like, this is the purpose of this time, even though we're glad you're having a good time, you know? And um, we don't want you to, like, miss the main objective here. The main objective is because you're little boys that need to be scrubbed. So sometimes this happens, this might have happened to you before, when you go to the grocery store or another kind of store, you, like, go to the store to get this thing that you need. Like, you have this thing that you need to get, and then when you're at the store, you get, like, lots of things, but you forget the thing that you, like, went there for? Has this ever happened to anybody? And you, like, you know, you come home with lots of stuff that you can use, and it's nice, and it will help you, but it's like you missed the, the purpose of, like, why you went to the store, you know? Um, and so a lot of people live their life like this. You know, the, the, world, um, the world and its system has given you a set of expectations and obligations. And when I say the world, I'm just talking about, um, in general, what everyone is doing apart from Christ. Um, Because the Bible kind of describes two kingdoms, right? Um, The one we're calling the world is just everyone without Christ, and then the other kingdom would be the people that are in Christ, who are following Christ. And apart from Christ, everyone is pursuing themselves, But when you come to Christ, you transfer kingdoms, like we talked about in Ephesians 2.19 this morning. You transfer kingdoms. So now you're part of God's eternal kingdom, and not surprisingly, the purposes are much different in God's eternal kingdom than they are in the world's kingdom. So it's kind of like opposite day every day. Um, The world tells you to make a name for yourself, right? But God tells you to make the name of Jesus great. And the world tells you to work hard and make your future secure. But God says to trust God with your future, um, that you cannot control your future even if you try. And the world tells you to live life to the fullest and enjoy yourself now because this is what you have. But God says to live for eternity because it's coming and it's actually much longer than your life here. And... The world tells you to prioritize taking care of yourself because no one else can be depended on to do that for you. But God tells you to lay down your life for others because that's what he did. So you can see the contrast, you know. Um, to expand on that, here is like a list of things the world kind of uses success. And the expe- so here's some of the world's expectations, okay. The world tells you basically this is what you need to do, okay. You need to have a successful career, be a boss babe. You need to have a hot, rich husband who also has a successful career. You need to be physically fit and healthy. You need to have beautiful babies. You need to have a big house and a beach house. You need to have nice cars, great fashion, a good social life, perfect hair, your own aesthetic, and a brand on social media. Oh, and also you need a lot of money. Like however much you think you might need, you actually need more than that like a lot of money, okay? Um, Now, do you feel crushed by the weight of these expectations? Because you should, okay? These, like, these are totally unrealistic. Nobody can complete that list. Um, And, in fact, they're not just unrealistic. They're impossible, exhausting, unnecessary, and unfulfilling. Um, Even if you worked really hard, you know, at this list, you like, make this your life ambition, you're like, I will have perfect hair and a hot husband and be a boss babe and everything else. Um, And you, like, gave your life to this, and you succeeded, you would find out what some people have is that they don't satisfy. Because however much money you think you need, you actually need more. And however much success you think you need, you actually need more. And that's because these things, like, dehydrate you. Instead of hydrating you, it's like drinking hot Coke on a hot day, right? It does not satisfy your thirst. It just makes you, you're still thirsty, you know? So, um, even in like the best worst case scenario, if you achieved all of these things and you found like a little bit of satisfaction in them, um, that would still be your whole reward then you die. The end. Like that's it, right? That's all you got was that little earthly satisfaction that you maybe kind of enjoyed or maybe just wanted more still. So most of us, we like face the world's expectations. That The world doesn't like just say, these are my expectations, but you see it every day. This is what you hear. This is what you read. This is what you see on TV. This is like everything you, that everything around you is telling you this message, right? So most of us like know that this is the message and we know in our deep hearts that we probably can't do all of those things, even though we think it would be cool if we could. Um, so we just pick some of those things, right? We're like, I know I probably can't do all of that. Like, I'm not sure about my brand on social media or whatever, but. We just pick one or two or however many that we think we could maybe accomplish and we, like, make that our ambition, you know? Um, Then, this is what happens a lot of times, too, is that we get around other believers or, like, we become part of Christian ministry and we realize there's another set of expectations for Christians. So now we need to, like... Be part of a church, you know, be part of challenge, read our Bible, share our faith. And what we do is we layer these Christian expectations on top of the world set of expectations. Because we still need to have an accessible career, a perfect family, a great body, tons of money, and fabulous hair. But also we need to be a really good Christian, you know. And when you do that, what you have is a giant mountain of overwhelming expectations that can crush you, right? This is not what Jesus expects from you. This is not what following him looks like at all. He calls us away from the world's pursuits to pursue something different. Um, Jesus wants to give us rest, freedom, and purpose. He doesn't want us to layer our spiritual activities and productivity on top of our other worldly ambitions. He calls us to lay down the other things we're trying to accomplish, everything the world tells you to pursue and to follow him instead. So um, we looked at Ephesians 2 earlier, right, where it really contrasts who we used to be with our new identity in Christ, how God sees us now. And then chapters um, 4 and 5 in Ephesians get really practical about how this plays out. And a lot of the instruction is is about moral conduct, um, kind of like, because you know Christ, this is like what you do, and this is what you don't do. It's kind of a description of that. But there's also just kind of a good, clear, before and after picture for our lives. Um, 4.17, you can turn there if you want, or I'll read it to you. But 4.17 says... So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles or unbelievers do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And another description of contrast is in um, chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. It says... um, this is 5, 8 through 10. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in goodness, righteousness, and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And the version that I have memorized says, try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Um, and the part I really like is five fifteen through 17. It says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I think that part is, those verses are really helpful because some of the things that people pursue aren't necessarily morally wrong. You know, they're not, um, it's not like evil to be good at your job, you know, or to have a hot husband. I mean, God probably wants a lot of you to get married, and he might as well be a hottie. But, <laughs> so those things are not, not wrong in themselves, but um, these verses kind of explain that there's two ways to live, wise or unwise. And the opportunity, it says, is our life. The opportunity that it's talking about is our life. The wise way to live is to make the most of our time in our life. Because we understand what God wants for us. That's what it's saying. In other words, we have to lay down our agenda that we're following naturally and follow his will for our lives. And when we do that, we like choose the wise way or we do the best thing. We make the most of our opportunity with our life. Does that make sense? So um, I just finished reading through Matthew. And this is like a really consistent theme of Jesus' teaching. Um for example, some of you probably know Matthew 63. actually we were talking about this at the lunch table, some of us, um, that you had talked about it, I think in the workshop maybe. Is that right? Was there a workshop about this? Um But the verses right before it say, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the unbelievers seek after these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And then um, the next chapter, Matthew 7, 13 and 14, they talk about a wide gate and a narrow gate. It says the main highway leads to death. But there's like a little tiny path that's less crowded that leads to life. And Matthew 13... 44 and 45, Jesus tells a parable, you might remember this, He tells a parable about someone that finds a treasure and they liquidate all of their assets in their whole life so that they could go buy this treasure because they knew that this treasure was actually more valuable than the other stuff they had before. So are you picking up on this theme? Like Jesus is teaching there are two ways to live and they don't go together. And he's saying, my way is way less popular like, the road is not packed. It is not L.A. traffic on my road. But but it's way better. And the other guys writing down Jesus' stuff, you know, in the other Gospels, they, they said similar things. Um, but I just have Matthew fresh in my mind. But it's throughout the Gospels because Jesus was always teaching this to people. In fact, um, all of them record Jesus saying something similar to this that he said in Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. That all the guys in the Gospels that recorded Jesus saying this or something very similar. So, there are two ways to live. We can follow Jesus, and he promises to guide and direct and provide everything else, or we can follow the things themselves and assume that Jesus is going to follow us. But, that's not how you treat a king, right? Jesus isn't going to follow us. Um, So, Jesus didn't walk on the earth during the time of TikTok and Instagram, but his earth besties knew a little something about social pressure and unrealistic expectations, especially religious ones. And so Jesus addresses this in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. And learn from, upon you, and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This um, verse in Matthew 11 is using, like, farming language, like old school farming language. And I, um, believe it or not, I don't actually know that much about farming. I know that you think that I wear overalls every day and drive a tractor to work because I'm from Oklahoma. (laughs) I actually just have a car and I mostly wear joggers. So <laughs> But there is this place in Oklahoma City um, where they like reenact pioneer life and like do prairie stuff. It's called the Harn Homestead. I know there's several oakies here. Didn't you ever go to the Harn Homestead? I've never heard that. I'm like cheated. Well you should because actually like I thought I mean I guess it was just like a Oklahoma City thing, but yeah, like every kid goes there on a field trip. But I was sick that day. Oh. I know. I'm, I'm not over it. Okay? Devastating. I'm still not over it. Um, but I do have the internet. And I know you'll be relieved to hear that. We have electricity and the internet. Really all of, you know, the modern conveniences. So I did a little internet research about yokes. Because, you know, it's just not something we throw around in 2024. And so I'm going to try to describe it to you. Does any, does anybody, has anybody seen a picture of this? I would like to show you a picture, but I don't have one. So I'm going to describe it. It's a piece of wood. It's like a bar across the top that has like two head holes in it, where you put, um, you put like two animals together, like maybe oxen or cows or mules. I'm not sure. I think any of them could work. And you put them in these head holes so that they can like be going together, and then they pull this, like, heavy piece of farm equipment, like a plow, and they do the farming this way, because they have to walk together to get the job done, because it would be too heavy for one of them to do by itself. Does that make sense? It's kind of like, it's it's like a less biblical way to visualize it would be like a three-legged race, you know? (laughs) It's not in the Bible, but, um, wait, where you, like, put together, and you, like, have to move together, you know what I mean, to, like, get it done, um... The the race is just for fun and like the yoke is for work. So that's an important difference. But Jesus said something like, it's a grind out there, people. And you're trying to achieve these impossible, unfulfilling goals. So leave that heavy stuff and attach yourself to me. Join me in the work that I'm doing. Join me in what I'm doing. And hopefully there's like enough buildup at this point that you're thinking to yourself, what is it that Jesus is doing? And... What is it that, you know, if it's not that other stuff, what is his purpose for my life? Tell me what it is. Well, thank you for asking. I'm going to tell you. Um, Jesus wants you to give your life to knowing him and making him known. To know him and make him known. This is his will for your life. This is what will give your life significance and purpose and meaning. Um, And as you're doing that, he will fill in the specifics for you, like where he wants you to work, who he wants you to marry, where he wants you to live. All of these things will be given to you as well. That's what the verse says, right? But my life can have significance, meaning, and purpose because God has purpose. Like he's already doing this thing, this specific eternal thing in the world that I can be part of. That's what gives my life purpose is when I join God's purpose. So, how do I do that? Let's talk about that. How do we know Him and make Him known? Um, Knowing Him is really about our connection to God, right? And there's a lot of joy and goodness in this because, like we've been talking about, He loves us so much. This is like the relationship part with Him. And the more we're connected to Him, the more we experience His deep acceptance and enjoy His companionship. So, um, we stay connected to Him by listening to him and talking to him and I I tell this to girls a lot but you know you you like have a you may have like a friend like an old friend from from high school and y'all were really good friends growing up and you're still friends like nothing has happened that broke your friendship you're not mad at each other but you just like don't see each other anymore, because maybe you went to different colleges or whatever, and you're just not, um, you haven't stayed in touch very well, and so when that happens, like, you feel kind of distant from that person, like, you don't really know what's going on in their life, they don't really know what's going on with you, but there's, like, there's nothing wrong with your relationship except that the connection has been, like, weakened or broken, you know? Um, and the same is true in our relationship with Jesus. Our connection or distance is like directly to related to how much time we spend with him and how much we communicate with him. So connection equals communication. That's just a general rule. And it's also true in our relationship with God. That means both talking and listening, right? So we spend time with Jesus by reading the Bible. That's how we listen to him. That's how he speaks to us primarily and then that's where we learn to hear his voice and when we talk to him it's called prayer right those are simple basics that are just like absolutely essential just you can never grow spiritually without prayer and God's word and you can never spiritually outgrow prayer and God's word because it's that's how our, our connection works that's about our connection um, just like you never outgrow talking to someone close to you like your friend or your mom. You know it's like it's like now we don't have to talk or communicate. We just understand each other. Like no one's buying that. Okay, especially your mom. She's going to be like you're a joke stuff. So connection. That connection is what it means to know him, right? Surrendering to him, listening to him, learning to hear his voice, obeying him, following his leadership surrendering again obeying some more talking to him listening and you just keep doing it because it's a relationship and relationships require communication and intentional time and ongoing attention because it's about connection connection and relationship and communication so that's um what it really means to know him and to keep knowing him is just to stay connected to him um and then the second part is about making him known right Making him known. So you remember the the yoke analogy from a minute ago? We're going to go back to the farm. Um, The analogy of the yoke implies at least two things. One is that there is work to be done, right? Because Jesus does not say... My recliner is comfortable and my pillow is soft. He's not like, come relax with me, baby. You know, that's like not what he, that's not what he said. And the second thing that it implies is that Jesus wants to partner with us in the work. He wants us to partner with him. He does not say, my assignments are exciting and my to-do list is cool. Like, you will like it. Like, here's this stuff, go do it. You know, he says, come join me, partner with me. Um... We talked about this a little bit earlier, but the burden is not light if you add it on top of what you've already picked up and you're trying to haul around. It's only light if you lay down your own burden and carry his. And the reason why Jesus says his burden is light is because he does the heavy lifting. You know, it's like really awesome to, to yoke up with him and join him because he's really strong and he does more than pull his weight, You know, um, he does the hard work. It's kind of like if you move a couch or something really heavy with like the strongest person you know, you know, and they, you look like you're helping, but it's kind of fake because you're like, let me help you with that," But you're not really using much energy, you know, because they're so strong, um. And that's what it's like when you really lay yourself down, your stuff down, and join Jesus in the work he's doing. That's the only way that rest and productivity can go together, which is what Jesus is describing in this work, in this, in this verse. Um, so that connection, though, the connection we were talking about a minute ago, that has to come before the work because the ox or whatever has to like get in the yoke and join the other one. And if the connection's not there, that poor cow has either run off with the plow, and he's like trying to pull it himself, you know, which is not going to get very far very fast, or it's just wandering around in the field, kind of like not even doing helpful work, right? And I have tried this metaphorically, not with the yoke, but like with running off without Jesus. Um, So I can speak from experience that it doesn't go very well. Sometimes I just blaze out into the field and forget to yoke up with Jesus and maybe I even have good intentions, you know, but I just get excited and I'm just frolicking around out there and then after a while I realize I've spent the whole day trampling on the plants instead of doing anything helpful, you know, so trying to do work for Jesus without Jesus is exhausting and unfruitful, but Jesus wants us to know him and be connected to him then he wants us to be part of what he's doing to make himself known. Um, and making him known is his worldwide objective. He has so much love, right? Like we've been talking about his love, he is love. And he loves everyone he created so much. And he, but he wants each person to know that and to receive his love But that's not happening with a lot of people. Everywhere you live and play and work and learn, there are people around you that don't know or understand how much God loves them. And, you know, sin and rebellion have broken our connection to God. And and if people don't come to Jesus to restore that connection, they'll never get to experience God's love. So we have to tell people about Jesus with our mouths, and with our lives. You know, that's um, the gospel. Jesus wants you to share it. Um, That's what he's about. Um, Because everyone around you is substituting this expectation list from the world. They're substituting that for the deep security and significance or purpose that comes from Jesus. Because that's all they can see. They don't know there's another list. They don't know that there can be real life purpose and meaning unless we tell them and show them, you know? Um, And he, Jesus taught us and demonstrated the most effective way to accomplish his worldwide objective. He talked about it in Matthew um, 28, 19, and 20. Some of you might be familiar with this verse. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Sometimes we call this um, spiritual multiplication, and it's the best thing you can give your life to. So probably y'all have heard the term discipleship before. I don't know about you, but like, especially when I was in college, I was like really confused about what it meant to make disciples. Because, I mean, like I knew I was supposed to be doing it, and I knew Jesus liked it, and, but, but it seemed really like mysterious to me, and kind of ambiguous, because the term like, got thrown around a lot where I was, I don't know if that's true here, and people were calling different things discipleship, you know, be like, oh, well, what is it? Because they think it's that, and, they, and they're doing it in a group, and they're doing it on one person, Like they're doing this book, and I don't know what they're doing, and it was just kind of confusing to me. Um, but eventually I realized, I learned it some sometime that when Jesus talks about discipleship, this is what he means. He means intentionally teaching someone else the things that I know about walking with God. Like spending time with God, studying the Bible, memorizing verses, praying, sharing the gospel, etc. This is like this is what Jesus was doing with his guys on earth, right? He was living life with them and teaching them how to walk with God and help other people do the same. So that's why it can look like lots of different ways, because you can do that lots of different ways, but at the root of it, it's like, what I'm doing is, I'm like, everything that has been taught to me, or that I've learned, like, here's how you spend time with God. Then I share that with someone, so they know how to spend time with God. Here's like, how you can pray. Here's how Jesus wants you to talk to him, and then I, the things I've learned, I teach them to someone else, and then they know how to, You know, they've learned more about how to pray. And all the things that I'm teaching them, that I've learned, I'm like teaching them to teach someone else, right? So it keeps going. It doesn't ever stop with anyone. That's discipleship. So, Jesus wants to know him and make him known. We want to be with him and with them. That's the people we're helping, right? With him and with them. And this is the eternal work that gives life purpose and meaning and significance. But, you know your ambition is this like intangible thing that's happening in your heart. I don't know what it is. I cannot tell, you know, I can't like label you a certain way. Um, I don't know what you're really pursuing or whose expectations you're trying to meet. Um, I I don't know where you're trying to find significance. It's, It's possible to even be excelling in like the list of worldly things and have your heart firmly fixed on Jesus, what he's doing, or vice versa. So um, only you know what is really deep inside your heart. And actually, it's possible you're even kidding yourself, but try not to kid yourself. And so it's going to be good to spend some time thinking about this and just asking Jesus what your next step is. You know, because I don't know what your next step is, but Jesus knows, and He'll tell you. You listen. So maybe you need help knowing Him. Um, is someone teaching you about more about connecting with Jesus? Maybe that's where you need to to find that. Do you need to join Jesus in His worldwide objective, m- making Him known? Um, Maybe there's a worldly ambition or something from that list of expectations we read that you realize that you've been trying to live for that and maybe you need to lay that expectation down. Um, Or maybe you've been trying to layer your Christian list of expectations on top of your other desires or objectives. So everything you hear and see every day is telling you, Looks, love, jobs, stuff. Like, like, this is what life is about. You deserve it. Go get it. Don't stop till you have it. All of it. More of it. Like, this is what you hear all the time. The world is constantly yelling that at you. And Jesus does not yell. It's not his style. But his message is loud and clear for anyone who, is, who will listen. There's more than just this short life. Um, So I'm going to end by reading our theme verse again, and then we'll pray, and then you'll get some instructions about what to do next. I think you're going to have some time to think through these questions and maybe what your next step would be. So our theme verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, But for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you let us join you in what you're doing. Thank you that you give us purpose, eternal purpose, that you give us a better list of things to live for that last forever and that um, give us satisfaction and meaning. And I pray that we would live for those things and that we would lay down the other stuff that we get pressured into doing or thinking will will satisfy us. I pray that we would see through that and perceive what it is that you want us to do. And I pray that you would um, give each of these girls clear direction about what that means for them, like what they need to do next. And thank you that you really speak to us and you really love us. In Jesus' name, amen.